You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. I'm Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief over at arrowheadpride.com. Joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, I know we were working together. I know we were communicating, but it's different when we get on the podcast channel. Have you missed seeing me? Have you missed hearing me? Uh, Absolutely. Right. I absolutely do. See, that's it's, the right it's answer. Not, it's not the same, and we don't get together on Tuesday mornings to record the podcast. It's and just I, not. I could see that there's a little sparkle in your eye now on the Zoom here because you are a trailer man at this point. You're an <laughs> RV man. You're going all over Missouri. You're trying to in some of Kansas, right? You're covering all all the we, areas we of the Kansas City metro. Been, we haven't been to Kansas yet. Okay, we will be. We'll. So far, we've just been See, on the Missouri side. Look Close. at you. You're a pro. You're covering. You're covering all of the states in, in the local area because you know that could be a problem if you're we're, just going in the Missouri areas. We're going to keep track. We're, we have a map where we're going to have okay each state that we've been to marked, and uh, and keep track of that as we go. Um, and we got a new sticker from a campground we visited for the first time over the weekend. That's going on the refrigerator. So See, this we, have is, these, we have these things set up. You need to put a special logo on the RV, a special John Dixon logo. And that way, when people in the Kansas City area spot it, they can come knock on your door and <laughs> get a little bit of lunch, talk a little yeah. bit of Chiefs, <laughs> go in the fridge, see what's in there, yada, yada. <laughs> be a good experience for you well as long as it doesn't invalidate the warranty i guess it'd be all right (laughs) well okay here we go let's get into some chief stuff before we do i do have to mention i forgot rate and review us if you if you would Uh, we have love the reviews that we're seeing recently we know that we changed the podcast channel quite a bit this off season rate and review us let us know what we're doing right let us know what we're doing wrong we of course appreciate the feedback. All right, let's get into this Arrowhead Pride Editor show. It's going to be a two-segment show. Sometimes we'll have three segments, but we are in the latter part of the offseason where things get a little bit slower. So we'll cover the news on the Chiefs, and we'll, we'll start with that. And then we will get into our top training camp battles to watch, a little bit of the COVID news. Uh, and so away we go with that. The first thing we, we should talk about, and this is the biggest story right now surrounding the Kansas City Chiefs, is the latest in the Frank Clark off the field incidents. Frank Clark had two gun-related arrests in California this offseason. The first one was in March during a traffic stop. There were two guns that were taken by the police. The later one came in June. That's when we found out about the earlier arrest. And then this past week, since our last editor's show was on Friday, uh, Frank Clark was officially charged with a felony 
of an assault weapon possession that was stemming from the March arrest. So we still haven't even heard uh, about the second arrest and what the charges are with that. His arraignment for this is due in L.A. and Compton on Wednesday. So, again, a slow process with all the legal stuff, but we should be finding out more as we go. Now it's just a question, one that's really hard to answer about what will this mean for his NFL status? What will this mean for his chief status? Well, the thing that's most interesting to me about this is what it reveals about the timeline of this process that, you know, an arrest in March results in charges in July, right? And a court appearance in July for the arraignment. And then the trial is likely going to be six months after that. I mean, there, it takes time for them to, you know, get it on the calendar and do all the things. And that means that both of these incidents are not going to be resolved within the time frame of the 2021 season. Right. And uh, if anything was going to happen in terms of discipline, it probably would have happened by now. So it's becoming more and more clear that whatever occurs with Frank Clark as a player, it probably won't happen until next season. Well, one thing I think that we have noticed, and it, it's been a welcome change, at least in my opinion, and I know the opinions of a lot of people, is the NFL is a little bit more patient with throwing around discipline until mm-hmm. they really get through what is the legal process. That's a difference than it might have been used to be even as a little as five years ago where they would jump and say, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Sometimes they let the legal process play out because things can get dropped. There can be deals made, so on and so forth. The NFL wants that information before they deal out their punishment. I know that pro football talk and NBC sports has thrown around the commissioner exempt list. I don't know if that'll necessarily happen for this case, because again, it's a gun possession thing in California, not to say that it's not serious, but there are different laws in different states. And it, to mm. me, I don't yeah. think this falls under commissioner's exempt list. Again, we don't know the rhyme or reason or the process of the NFL. So there's a lot of options here that would uh, equate to what would be paid leave. But I just don't see that as an option. I see, as we're saying, the legal process playing out, the chief saying we're going to wait for the legal process to play out, the NFL saying something similar, and then they figure out what to do with Frank Clark. But again, we are really speculating here. We don't really know exactly how this will go. What we do know is if there is a punishment, if there is a suspension, if there is a commissioner's exemplist, there is a name that visited the Chiefs this past offseason, edge player in Melvin Ingram. He's been connected to the Chiefs recently, again, through NFL Network's Ian Rapport, who on a recent uh, media appearance said that that remains an option for the Chiefs if he were to miss time. And I'll get into it as we talk about position battles at the end of the show. But if you really don't have Frank Clark, again, I want to keep reiterating pure speculation at the beginning of the season. You're a little light at the edge position. And I think bringing in Melvin Ingram, granted, you're not sure of the production. You're not sure of the player status at this point in his career. It makes sense just to, I think, patch up what could be a problem for you at that particular position. Yeah, well, you'd expect the Chiefs to have a guy like that on speed dial. And Ingram hasn't signed anywhere else. They did meet with him, which is usually a good sign. Um, But they didn't sign him at that time. So they apparently don't think they need him that badly with Clark on the team, but that would certainly suggest that he'd be the first call they make uh, if Clark is no longer available. And that assumes, of course, that they didn't sign him because they had a problem with his 
physical uh, when he when he appeared in Kansas City if they didn't have some kind of issue with his health. Right. Um, and, yeah, and I think it's I think it's a value thing too. I mean, it it's a, a salary thing where right. Ingram probably wanted a certain amount of money. Uh, the Chiefs felt like they would go to a, a certain level of that, but where there is demand, then you start to to push. So mm-hmm. if you get the yeah. information ahead of time and say, well, Frank Clark is going to not be available for X number of games. Sometimes the chiefs will get that information before the public does. And then all of a sudden, okay, maybe we'll pay a little bit more for the services of Melvin Ingram and, and get a little closer to what he wants because there's just a simple greater need, right? Like if you're hungry, and you are happen to be in an RV camp and the only thing available is $5 hot dogs, John, right? You don't want to pay $5 for a hot dog, right? But you didn't bring them. So you got to. Right, right, right. And, and I think it's that type of thing. I know we're joking about it, but I think it's that type of thing where it will be a very reactionary thing. Okay, this happens. Well, maybe we'll go and take this measure. It's just a wait and see thing right now, too. I mean, that's how the legal process goes. We just don't have a lot of information, A, about the legal process and some of the evidence and whatnot. And then B, really the contract language when it comes to Frank Clark. I know a lot of fans have these questions. We saw them with the Chiefs mailbag, and I'm sure uh, our AP out of structure guys will get into a little bit of that later this week, but it's just a lot of unknown. So it's hard to really make any decisions, even when it comes to what we do as journalists. And I think also with the Melvin Ingram situation, it's important to remember that uh, let's say that let's just speculate here. Let's just say that Ingram came in and he wanted uh, $7 million a year. I'm just picking a number out of the air here. Yeah. Well, the Chiefs probably don't want to give him $7 million of their $8.4 million in cap space, which is what we currently calculate that they have. Right. In order to they, that's going to not going to leave him with enough to do anything, to be flexible about anything. But as time passes, if they're able to extend Tyron Matthews' contract, which could open up eight to ten million dollars in cap space, maybe they'll be a more more amenable to making that deal with Ingram. So you know, it could be that they didn't like what they saw from his physical, or it could be that they just needed to wait until they could afford it better uh, in order to bring Ingram to the team, or maybe they just don't need him as long as Frank Clark is there. Many things that we don't know. Yeah, let's continue with the Tyron Matthew talk. I'm going to pivot a little bit from the rundown we have, John, and oh, go to, oh, go to oh, number okay, four. Okay. Because you just mentioned Tyron Matthew, and that is a, a good transition into that conversation. And here I have down, there is no news on Tyron mm-hmm. Matthew. And to me, that's news because I really thought by this point on July 13th of our editor show, it would have been an extension that we were talking about. And there's still time here, right? The veteran mm-hmm. report day is not until the 26th. Uh, the rookie and quarterback report day is on the 23rd to me, even though Matthew reports a little bit later, that is still the date I'm looking at. I, I would think that the chiefs would want to have that in the books if they were going to do it this off season by the 23rd, but it, it really does seem like there is no rush. We have not seen Tyron Matthew hold out yet. I don't think he would, but that mm-hmm. is a slight storyline to watch because this is still a business. And we always have to remember that as much as he is a leader of the chiefs, as much as he wants to be here, would he hold back from coming into actual training camp until the chiefs give him an extension? He's entering the final year of his contract. And I just think that is a point to watch. The fact that there has been no news is news when it comes to Tyron Matthew. Well, and certainly we had contract extensions for other Chiefs players later than this date last season. Um, I don't recall the dates off the top of my head, but 
we 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 are still in the window where they right. could make a deal with Matthew. And I agree. I don't I don't think that Matthew's in any position where he wants to hold out. I think he'd like to get a deal done, but I think he's perfectly happy to leave things as they are and continue to play. That's the the message that seems to be his subtext uh, during all the times that he's spoken during the right. offseason program to this point. So, uh, you know, I don't see this as going to be a big problem. Either they get a deal done or they don't. I think they still will uh, before training camp begins. But, you know, they could still end up doing it in August for all we I, know. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, if this gets to the season, right, and mm-hmm. it's one of those things where the agent says – we couldn't come to an agreement. The Chiefs say we couldn't come to an agreement. We're just going to play this thing out and see what happens next offseason. And Tyron Matthew is intrinsically motivated anyway. I mm-hmm. could see him ripping off a close to a defensive player of the year type of year. And mm-hmm. I just don't yeah. think that is necessarily the position you want to be in if you're the Chiefs. I have really liked what the Chiefs personnel department has done in recent years. So I think by default, right? They should have our trust here. But this seems like you are playing in some serious dicey waters if yeah. you let this get to the last year. And really, you don't have the room to do so. And so I think everybody hopes at this point they figure something out on the Tyron Matthew front. John, you covered this for ArrowheadPride.com. The NFL insiders voted Patrick Mahomes as the league's top quarterback. This seems like a a no-duh type of thing. Like, why do they even do this ranking anymore? I mean, isn't that obvious? And so it was Jeremy Fowler, right, who polled the insiders of the NFL. Right. And and there's like 50 of them, and they they vote and uh, vote for 10 or 15 players at every position. And then they add those up and do some other kind of behind the scenes magic where they look at stats and stuff like that. It's apparently not quite fully a vote, but it starts with this vote of general managers, coaches, and some players too, apparently. And what's interesting about this is that at this point last year, when they ran this exercise, Mm -hmm. Mahomes was nearly 100% of the number one votes. And this year, after Tom Brady wins a Super Bowl against the Chiefs and after Aaron Rodgers is named MVP, Mahomes gets 64% of the the number one votes. So, you know, there are obviously other quarterbacks in the NFL who can, in certain circumstances, have better games, uh, be in better situations than Mahomes could be. But Mahomes is still the guy. You know, that's the duh factor you're talking about. But the, it, yeah, the problem that with that and the 36% drop is so ridiculous because it's all based upon one game with Mike Remmers at left tackle. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, that's there's no other way to say it. I mean, that is so uh-huh. ridiculous because there's no other game in the season. Like you even want to make a case for the Raiders fluke loss with the them going around Arrowhead Stadium and whatnot. Mahomes still was able to get them back in that game and they were almost able to come back and look, it's an every given Sunday type of league to go back to that cliche. So I'm not going to kill Mahomes on, on that game, but you, you look at the only time he was ever really beaten in his career. Was it even that much his fault? And I understand like, you know, you, you think about the Sam Darnold situation with seeing ghosts last year. And, and it felt like at a certain point in the Super Bowl, Mahomes was, it did seem hearing footsteps a little bit, but can you really blame him? I mean, there was no protection. Yeah. You're facing one of the better fronts in the league and to just have him dip 
that many percentage points, 36% just seems like it's way, 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 way too far. Mahomes to me is still the clear cut. Number one, I think a lot of people would agree with that where this one was interesting to me. And I wrote it down is the top five. And what I think is especially interesting is they went Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, and then Josh Allen, the ages of the top five. I mean, it took Rodgers and Brady and Wilson. They're well in the, their, their 30s. Josh Allen is younger than Mahomes. is Mahomes' age, essentially. And so you are so far ahead of those guys uh, at their ages. And I don't really think, even as I look at them, and I we don't even know if Rodgers is going to play or where he's going to play or whatever. So to me, you take him out of it. Brady, I, I, I love what Tom Brady has been able to do. I appreciate his career at 43. I'm still taking Mahomes. Russell Wilson had a very interesting offseason, doesn't even trust his team. Are we thinking that he's going to overtake Mahomes? And I've seen Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes several times now. And I like Josh Allen, but he is not Patrick Mahomes. So I look at that top five and I say, Mahomes is going to be number one next year. And that percentage, in my mind, will go up just because... Mm-hmm. As great as these players are behind him, it doesn't really feel like it's feasible for any of them to overtake him in 2021. Well, we might have said that last year, and Aaron Rodgers did it anyway. But but I agree with your point, though, that unless something really un, unexpected happens, uh, Mahomes is the guy who's going to be the favorite for NFL MVP this year, uh, just as he was last year. And um, I, I, I think it's obvious that he's the number one quarterback in the league right now, even though some voters may have seen it differently. I think that part of that is, you know, the Brady Mahomes thing. And people felt like they had to give Brady credit because he won in the championship game. I think those kinds of I think those kinds of decisions are dumb myself. I, well, I don't think it's about single games. I mean, you're talking about a career like right now, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, you have to say that it's not even close sure. having yeah. seven yeah. Super Bowls. And that's yeah. more than any franchise individually. It's ridiculous. And I, I think I like your point in that in some of our writings at arrowheadpride.com. It's just too early to tell if Mahomes can overtake that. I mean, he has right. seemingly 18 ish years if he stays healthy to go. So mm-hmm. we don't know what he's going to be able to do with that much time. Now, granted, it, it, it has to do a lot to, I think, yeah, to overtake sure. Tom Brady, but there's so much time. That is a lifetime. That's like a generation, essentially. And so I don't know. I, I think it's a very interesting conversation when we have to have, because this is what you do in sports media. You always compare and contrast and whatnot. But for right now, I don't think there's a quarterback in the league that you would want over Patrick Mahomes. And even at 64%, at least the majority uh, still feels that way. John, I got to ask you, do you think Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey had fun at the event? <laughs> I think this is another one where the answer is pretty obvious. They have a good time at this thing. They did last year too. I love to see these two and going back to Brady, who we just talked about, like one of the best things about Brady and Gronk is you could tell they're actually like good friends off the field and enjoy each other's company. I'd even go as far further to say Mahomes and Kelsey even feel more in that direction for me. Mm -hmm. They are just like legitimate, good friends. And we talk about on the field sometimes how like it seems as though they know where each other are going to be, where, you know, you have that NFL films clip. I forget the exact game it is, but Kelsey and Mahomes like, you knew I was going to be there. Mahomes like, I knew you were going to be there, man. And like they're going back and forth. And I think it's from weekends like this. And one of the things that you covered for us again uh, at AP, John, is this key, key quote from Mahomes. 
I really liked it and I, I couldn't find it. NFL total access, by the way, I got to go off on a, a media tangent here. They got to make this interview more available. We were looking for the full thing so we could figure out, okay, what it was exa- exactly said. It was, it's hard to find on the internet. So I have the, the quote here. It's different in the sense that you don't have the parades and all that different type of stuff, said Mahomes. I think the beautiful thing about the NFL is every single year you start from scratch. You have to come in, you have to put in the work to try to get to the big game and try to win it. And so for us, win or lose that Super Bowl the last two years, we still have that same mentality. We're going to start from scratch and build and try to find a way to get back to that game. Why this stands out to me is because Patrick Mahomes is Andy Reid Jr. This could be a quote from Andy (laughs) Reid and saying, we don't care what we've done. We are starting from day one and we're starting from every rep, every training camp day. And we're going to slowly but surely try to get back to the big game. Yeah, that's exactly the way you have to approach it, though. And this is, you know, a point I made, uh, I think, last week or the week before, that this is another example of, Mahomes always putting his foot in exactly the right place. He never puts a foot wrong. And this quote is a perfect example of that. And uh, you just love to see this from this kid. He's not only a great player, he's a great human being. He's a great teammate. He coaches his other players around his teammates around him the same way the coach would if the coach were there. And that's exactly what you want to see in in a franchise leader like Mahomes is. One thing that has been getting a little buzz is there was a fan on the course. I do have that sound who asked about Justin Herbert. We'll play that for you right now. Watch out for Justin Herbert next year. I'll see you when I believe it. Yeah. Uh, he said, look out for Justin, Justin Herbert. Fan says, look out for Justin Herbert. Mahomes not thinking says, I'll see it when I believe it. Meaning I'll believe it. When I see it, <laughs> but I love the moments when Mahomes doesn't have time to prep because you can see that competitiveness and he, he's smiled afterward and you can understand, okay, you, we all know what he was saying. He didn't mean I'll see it when I believe it. He meant I'll believe it when I see it. But Mahomes has been hearing some of the chatter about Herbert. Sure. And now I know it's a, a small moment, but that, this to me even makes Mahomes, Herbert, the two matchups that will get slightly more enticing in a, in a sense because you know that he knows that this kid is, is very good out there in L.A. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's going to be an interesting contest. And, and we're fortunate, I think, in watching the AFC West and getting to cover that we get this thing twice a year now. Yeah, and I, I think it's also the, the unguarded moment is cool. Right. We don't get that with Patrick very much because he is so good at handling his interviews, you know, seeing this happen as a small child obviously had a great impression on him. And he does such a spectacular job of answering questions without giving things away, without, you know, throwing people under the bus, without saying the wrong thing. He's so good at it. And so those unguarded moments where he's not prepared to answer that kind of a question and let his competitiveness show through. I think you've got that exactly right, that that that's his competitiveness showing through in an unguarded moment. It's it's terrific fun. But I can say as an older guy myself, people expect this from me to put the the phrase backwards, but uh, I'm not sure that they really expect that from Patrick at this point. <laughs> yeah, I I just think it was somewhere where he just was trying to fire back really quickly. Got a little yeah. mixed up, but we yeah. listen, we like the competitiveness sure. of it. And I think it does it really indeed may start to make the Chiefs Chargers matchup a little bit more interesting. Oh, Speaking yeah. of Justin Herbert, 
I, I'm a big fan of him uh, from afar. And I think he's the same way when he handles press conferences, really does say the right thing, a really good young kid. And these two typically will just let their, their talking uh, happen on the field. Mahomes, I love the on the field competitive Mahomes because that's when you'll start to get the counting on the fingers and the flexing mm-hmm. and the whatnot. Yeah. And so hope to see some of that when we <laughs> when we do get Chiefs uh, and Chargers. And I, you know, I think for the first time, and, and I'll say it again, and I'm not afraid to here, I finally think the Chargers are legitimate. I think you'll get the media thing and we'll, of course, tweet from Arrowhead Pride, a tradition like no other, uh, the Chargers getting crowned. But I actually think they'll be a playoff team this year. I don't think they'll win the AFC West, but I think the Chargers will indeed be a playoff team. That's an early prediction for you. Uh, another thing we have to touch upon, this is our last news item, John. Laurent Dubonnet Tardif, what an honor for him to be a Kansas City Chief. He was named the SB's Sports Humanitarian of the Year for opting out, becoming the first NFL player to opt out of the 2020 season. And that was not because of any fear of coronavirus. No, quite the opposite. He was willing to put himself at risk to go to Montreal, use his medical doctor degree on the front lines against coronavirus and properly awarded by ESPN at their annual SB Awards, which happened on Saturday, Saturday night. Yeah, this is terrific. I, I love this guy. I really do. I mean, he's he's a great story. He's been a great story from the beginning. Playing in Canada, you know, it's not quite like playing in the NCAA in terms of right. uh, being well-known among NFL circles. Coming in as a sixth-round pick, uh, eventually working his way into the starting lineup, developing into a solid player. And then at the same time, becoming a doctor in his spare time. I mean, who does that? Suddenly, I feel like I'm in one of those commercials for those car warranty things. Who does that? No, yeah, I. it's incredible. I mean, the fact, too, that I had the opportunity when I was still at Chiefs.com to go cover this guy. And we spoke to one of his mentors, one of his teachers along the way. And mm-hmm. one of the, the items that, that stuck out, and I believe we made it the final comment of the special we did. I think it's still available on YouTube. I, it's called The Tale of Two Passions. But the thing that he said that stuck out is Laurent is going to play in the NFL. And we'll see how much longer he goes You know, now that he's aged. And we're probably looking at him as a backup. Who knows where this goes? But he's going to be end up being an X-year doctor, meaning like a 20-year doctor or a mm-hmm. 25-year doctor. Whereas, okay, maybe he had seven to 10 years of the NFL, but he'll be more so known for saving lives, Dr. Dubonnet Tardif. And I just thought that was fascinating in a, in a sense because, man, there's so much respect I think we have in America for both football players and for doctors and what they do. And for this guy to have lived both lives in one and just, I think the tone and the manner in which he speaks about and the reverence he has for really both opportunities. It's just, it's an incredible player to watch and a person to watch a multi-language speaker. Really he's for the greater good. And again, just an honor to have in Kansas city and we're hoping, and, and we think he'll be on the 53 man roster. It remains to be seen what his role is for the 2021 season. Basically he's Doc Graham from field of dreams. <laughs> you know, it would have been a tragedy if I'd only been a doctor for, for one game. Right. You know, he recognized at the end of his life that that he got to spend most of his life doing something that really helped people instead of just entertaining people. And not to say that there's anything wrong with entertaining people. I think I think there's a lot to be said for that. It's a it's a thing that makes all of us more healthy, truth be told, right. but not quite in the same way that a doctor does. So, yeah, he's Doc Graham and uh, and everybody who sees that movie loves that character. So. That's how we should feel about Dr. Larry. 
our Arrowhead Pride editor show message: just take off the Super Bowl ring before you start the surgical procedure. You don't you don't want to leave that in somebody. Coming up next, I have the- an uncle who was a surgeon who used to tell jokes about that about you know leaving the umbrella. <laughs> Coming up next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, an update on coronavirus and vaccinations in the NFL. And we'll get into our three most intriguing training camp battles to watch. Stay with us. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back here on the return edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. I think the next time we won't have a show is probably the bye week, John, Thanksgiving. So get ready. We're strapped in for the long haul. Oh, boy. Here we go. Tom Pelissero had a tweet this week, and I'll read it off to you. And, John, you can react to it as you go. Seven NFL teams are now above the 85% threshold for player vaccinations, and 70% of players league-wide have at least one shot, I'm told. NFL Network, of course. Second shot needed by today to be fully vaccinated and avoid major restrictions when most teams report to camp on July 27th. What are you wondering when you hear this tweet, John? I'm wondering which teams they are. You know, when we first heard that there were two teams that had reached this 85% threshold that the NFL had specified, the reported word was that the teams were the Miami Dolphins and the New Orleans Saints. And there have been a couple of reports since then that uh, has where this number has risen. I think on the 7th of July, they had five teams that were above the threshold. And now with just exactly two weeks until training camp begins, we're up to seven teams. Now, could the Chiefs be one of them? I think that's a fair question. Andy Reid repeatedly said during the offseason program that the Chiefs team was up near the top Uh, of the teams in terms of vaccination percentage among their players. So it's not unreasonable to think the Chiefs are one of these teams, but we just don't know. And it'll make a big difference when they get to playing games. Uh, The teams that are vaccinated at this 85% level will be able to behave pretty much as if the pandemic had never happened, while teams that don't reach that level um, will have to have some form of what we saw in 2020 in how right. they do their business. And players who are not vaccinated uh, essentially are going to have to act as if it's 2020. I, I'm frankly surprised that um, a significant number of players have not sought vaccinations for that reason. 
But what it says is that these players feel strongly about not getting the vaccinations. And it's, you know, it's their right not to, not to get them if that's what they want to do. I, yeah, I just find I, it surprising. I think you nail it on the head. What What's wild about this, and I really want to avoid the politics of it. You know, yeah, I, I'm, a, yeah. I'm big on the, the politics, kind of just staying out of sports and, and whatnot. But the truth of the matter is, and, and you hit it, there is a tremendous advantage involved with being able to act like a normal football team versus basically the two different worlds of vaccination versus not vaccinated masks and whatnot, the comfort that goes into all of that. And so it is something to watch. It is real. It's going to be a real advantage for the teams that can get to that threshold. And as you said, seven NFL teams are above it. I would guess the chiefs are probably one of them above it but we don't know for sure it's the speculation show here at our head we don't we don't know anything so i don't even know why you're listening to us but no but we'll know eventually i we'll think know eventually we, we yeah. will know eventually and i think I that's bet. a good sign for the league as a whole too the fact that yeah. seven teams are above because like we're saying i think other teams will see that and say you know look we want to have that advantage same thing goes to the chiefs and again having to do with coronavirus the fact that you had these teams boycotting for one reason or another, where you, you know you didn't have the true NFL offseason last year, the product was fine, yada yada. Well, the Chiefs had most of their attendance in, I believe, like the Cleveland Browns, for example, at fifty-five out of ninety in, where the Chiefs are in the eighties. That's an advantage. Having additional practice together, yeah. getting the installs, you know, because you're just ahead going into training camp, so on and so forth. So, coronavirus also remains something to be monitored as we enter training camp and what will be the 2021 regular season. All right, let's get into some football, right? We've been talking about a lot of stuff off the field. Let's get and into we're the still real speculating. football of it. Yeah, it, <laughs> this is continued speculation. The speculation special of the Airhead Pride Editor Show. The top three most intriguing training camp position battles revisited. Now, John, we went through these ourselves, and we have some tweaks, but we'll go to the top three ourselves. And, and you start us off here. What is your number three? We'll go three to one. What is your number three a training camp position battle to watch? I think linebacker. And it's not because... Uh, there's any doubt in my mind who the top linebackers will be. Obviously, uh, Anthony Hitchens and Nick Bolton and Willie Gay will be the three main linebackers. I mean, it's pretty obvious that those are going to be the guys. What's more interesting to me is how they will be used, which we won't, won't really know until the season gets here and we see how they're used in different kinds of packages and uh, the other thing that will be interesting to me is how it affects the other uh, linebackers on the field. You know, whether this will be finally be the thing that moves Dorian O'Daniel off the team. You know, what will Ben Neiman's role be when they have uh, Bolton and Gay on the field? And how are they going to get Bolton ready to take over for Hitchens? Uh, you know, will they sub him in a lot in situations at Mike linebacker so they'll have that experience? Or will they be doing that uh, outside of games and hoping that he'll be fine with it when yeah. he finally takes Hitchens' place? I think the preseason will be especially big for the defensive side of the football this year mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And just seeing how comfortable some of these younger players are in those positions, I think the Chiefs are really going to need to see. Willie Gay and what he can do if Ben Neiman is not going to get real reps, especially at the beginning of the season this year. How far has Willie Gay come in the offseason, having a full offseason, the first full offseason of his career? So, yeah, I, I think linebacker is an interesting battle to watch. For my number three, I went with the edge position. We 
detailed it a little bit already with the Frank Clark stuff. And that's the reason I have it here now, all of a sudden. I think there's just so much unknown. We were actually a little bit concerned about the edge position prior to all the Frank Clark stuff happening off the field where we said, well, if Chris Jones is inside a little bit more or he is outside, it's a new position, or maybe the Chiefs do keep him inside, then who becomes your other guy? Let's take Frank Clark out of it now. Now you really, I think, are pressed to put Chris Jones on the outside more. And you're dealing with players who haven't had those significant reps at the edge position really for a long time. Taco Charlton had opportunities with Dallas and it didn't work out in Dallas. He's now become more of a role player for the Chiefs and excelled at that. But he is also coming off an injury. Tim Ward is kind of an unknown. Mike Dana, you feel good about, but he's still sort of an unknown. Josh Kando apparently is a really raw project that maybe the chiefs are looking at as more of a contributor for the 2022 season. So it's a little light for me there. So I think that's where it pushes into the number three position for me, because I think you have a lot to figure out at the edge position and you could make a case other than the quarterback position and maybe the offensive line edge is as important as anything else, because if you can get pressure on the opposing quarterback, it makes it easier for the entire defense. And that's a little bit of a mystery right now for the Kansas City Chiefs, especially with, again, that that Clark situation. Well, and it's that aspect of it, which for a lot of fans uh, has signaled that the Chiefs have not handled this correctly. A lot of fans felt like they needed to emphasize defensive end that is the edge a lot more during this off season. And, you know, they're unhappy that they didn't sign Melvin Ingram or you know, one of these other free agent players that were out there. There's, there's plenty of people who feel that way. And it's for that very reason that you suggest that it's, you know, among the top two or three most important positions on a team. And there's definitely question marks here. I agree. Um, and, and, but I, I think that, the chiefs know all this. I don't think this is a surprise. No, you're right. To you're them, right. You know, and they've got something in mind that they, they think they can do. And uh, here pretty soon, we're going to find out what it is. And it's a little bit of that super bowl sway in the sense yeah. that it was mm-hmm. the one game, like it's salary cap league. Right. Right. So where you can only do so many things in the off season to improve your team. If, if you're, if you're picking and choosing, which you have to do again with the salary cap league, you say protect Patrick Mahomes because at the end of the day, we've talked about it now for years. The Chiefs are probably putting up 30 to 40 points a game, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you're going to spend on money, let's protect Patrick Mahomes. Let's make sure that he has time to get to these weapons. Let's make sure that the Chiefs can can score at will. And then if you're scoring at will, defense becomes a lot more easier because you have turned the opposing team into very much one dimensional and you could pin your ears back, chase the quarterback and and so on and so forth. And so the greatest defense, it's going to be reversibly cliche, but sometimes the greatest defense in this year's, or I should say this age's NFL is a really, really good offense. And so, yeah, maybe they didn't devote as many of their resources to the edge position, but that offense could be as good as it was in 2018. And if yeah. it is, it changes the entire game, even for the defensive side of the football. So we'll see how this plays out. All right, John, what's your number two position battle to watch? Well, I think to me it's cornerback, uh, just because, again, there's a lot of of interlocking pieces here. Uh, I thought uh, Steve Spagnolo's comments about uh, the cornerback battle the last time he spoke to us were very interesting. At one point he said, you know, the guy who breaks through, that is if there's a guy who breaks through <laughs> with these young players. Very careful. Brought in. In that yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I thought that was very interesting because, uh, you know, and, and we've talked about this before. He he really puts his heart on his sleeve and he tells us what he's thinking. And I, that's something I really appreciate about Steve Spagnolo. So that says to me that they're not quite certain how this is going to play out, but they feel like they have enough talented players that they can make it work somehow. Uh, right. So I think that gives the edge to players like Charvarius Ward and Rashad Fenton and and these guys who have, have done pretty well in the system and obviously Legereus Sneed. And my personal belief is that uh, they're not going to feel okay with some of these guys like Mike Hughes and DeAndre Baker by the time the season begins. So we'll see a lot of stuff like Spagnuolo talked about in Philadelphia where you've got this guy that in some situations is a slot corner and other situations right. outside corner. I think we'll see that at the beginning of the season. And then as the season progresses or in players are injured, we'll start to see things change and we'll see more of DeAndre Baker. But, you know, it, who knows how it could play out. It could be very interesting to watch in training camp. Now, cornerback is not my number two battle to watch, but I appreciate the offering only because if you look at this roster and you look at the step chart, you have one player at the cornerback room that is locked in to hit what his position is going to be. And that's Travarius Ward on the outside. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So like we know that Jerry Sneed's going to play a significant role, but we don't really know what that role is. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're still figuring that out. And so that's where it becomes an interesting training camp battle to watch because I truly think, and stemming from your point about Steve Spagnuolo, this is something they're working through. How does Mike Hughes fit in the mix? How does Rashad Fenton fit in the mix? Is Legarius Sneed a guy on the outside and he's just going to focus on Sneed Island and not go into the slot where he is at one of the better positions, uh, players at the position as a slot cornerback in the NFL? If you're doing that, then suddenly you have advanced trust in someone like a Mike Hughes, like a Rashad Fenton. How does DeAndre Baker fit in that mix? Does Legarius Sneed end up staying in the slot because you're like, you know what? Baker and Ward are good on the outside. And for Charvarius Ward, who to a, to an extent is an average to an, maybe a slightly above average player for him to be the only player locked in at a certain position. Yes. That does make the battle very much intriguing for chiefs training camp. My number two position, because I love offense. I'm an offense guy, wide receiver too. I'm just curious as to who is going to be the new Sammy Watkins. I, I think the chiefs know what Demarcus Robinson is. And I think that is somebody who is a role player for this team. If someone gets injured and I think it's going to be a battle between the rookie and Cornell Powell. I think Byron Pringle is also going to be in that mix. I had mentioned Antonio Callaway as a dark horse there. Marcus Kemp before that injury, they said was playing the best football yeah. of his career. Who knows? Yeah. It yeah. could go in a lot of different ways. And I think by extension, and I've said this before, we sort of know how the rookie's going to be on the team. We know it's going to be Robinson and Hardman and Hill and Pringle. The reason I didn't mention Hardman in that, because I just don't think he fits into that size and weight. I know he's been getting some buzz as the Sammy Watkins guy, mm -hmm. but I, yeah, I'm not buying it. I'm not doing it, <laughs> whatever. But what I will say is we know those five, right? We know those yeah. five. Who's number six. Is there a number seven? We've mentioned on the podcast before. Does it mean one less running back? And then all of a sudden you have a seventh wide receiver. It's just a very, very intriguing position for the first time in a while for me uh, heading into Chiefs training camp. I think you're right. I think it's about the number six and maybe the number seven player. And it makes you wonder whether a guy like Garrick Dieter is even going to be able to hang on to a, a job in the practice squad. Mm -hmm. but, but that brings up the thing that we've, I think, mentioned before that, 
you know, he is somebody that they might like to have on the practice squad specifically because of the way he practices. Right. That he can they fulfill a role that they see on other teams sometimes really well. I think it's easy for us to forget that the practice squad is first and foremost, the practice squad. These right. are guys that you need in order to run your practices the way you want to. It's not necessarily uh, about replacing guys who are injured, et cetera. Although that's certainly part of it, but, um, but it, you may, it makes you wonder uh, whether Dieter's going to have a chance to stay with the team this year because of that battle uh, for the sixth or seventh wide receiver, because there's going to be some guys they're going to want to hang on to, even if they don't make the 53. And you know what? I, I'm looking at the roster as we we speak here. Perfect time to say Joe Fortson. Now or never, yeah. man. This is it. Yeah. Because he's yeah. been this big target, and and it's it's I think believe his third year trying trying for this. And I know mm-hmm. that he got some yeah. buzz last offseason for for high pointing balls and so on. A deep position for the Chiefs where they have yeah. 15 receivers. Usually this is the running back position. This year, the clown car <laughs> is the receiver room. All right, John, your number one position battle to watch Chiefs training camp. Well, I think it's the the number one battle everybody is watching. The offensive line, specifically the right side of the offensive line. I thought that what Ron Kopp and Matt Stagner did last week on Out of Structure was, was great. Uh, you know, talking about what if we went all rookies on the right side of the line? What if yep. we went all veterans on the right side of the line? Obviously, that's not going to happen. I don't think there's a circumstance where it's all veterans on one side or all rookies on one side, but it's a way to have that discussion and put those things in their proper context, you know, whether you want to give these rookies time early in their careers and evaluate them and know exactly what you've got when it times comes time to renew their contracts, or do you want to, uh, to do the smart thing for this season only, which is to put those veterans out there. And that's the argument that they're having internally about these players. But at the end of the day, it's still going to come down to, you know, which rookie can we fit in there and which rookie, you know, which position can we not afford to put a rookie? And that's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. Yeah. I know that we've been focused all off season on the right side of the line and Andy Reid admitted he he got it there and it's rare you you even hear this, but he he basically said there's an open battle on the right side. And so walks into that. and, And I think in that confirms Orlando Brown Jr. as your left tackle, Joe Tooney as your left guard. Mm-hmm. I look at the right side. I've made my points on it before. I'll just reiterate really quickly. The Chiefs language changed when it came to Joe Tooney potentially playing center when they drafted Creed Humphrey. Yeah. For me, that inserts him in the center position. I think of the tackle positions, they're going to want veterans at least to start the year. I know the Yang will be a consideration for right tackle, but I believe that's going to be right. Mike Remmers. Once Kyle Long got injured with that leg injury for the entire offseason, to me, it opened up one position. And that's how I look at it right now. I could be wrong. Maybe someone it becomes the right tackle instead of Mike Remmers. Mike Remmers was a really good right tackle for the Chiefs last year. So I think right guard can go so many different ways where mm-hmm. Trey Smith seems almost like the favorite with some of the buzz that you hear. Uh, Laurent Dubonnet-Tardif, who we mentioned. Uh, the Chiefs also have Austin Blythe, who has played some guard in his career. Nick Allegretti, uh, Prince Tega Wogo, yeah. Lucas Niang. You know, that wide receiver six position we talked about 10 candidates for. Right guard can go in a lot of different ways. I know... It seems between the talk from Andy Heck and I said the, the buzz that the Chiefs would really like to put Trey Smith there. But I think that's why you are going to be happy that there's preseason games because you can really see if he's ready for that position from some of the film work that he's done with former Chiefs Jeff Schwartz. 
you really realize that this is a very, very, very smart young player who could be ready at the pro level yeah. almost immediately. Now we're going to get up a training camp to, to see if he is able to seize that position. And if he is, and you have a guy like LDT and who knows if Wiley and Allegretti, so on and so forth, man, the depth of this room is going to be tremendous. So good job by the chief staff. We've, we've said it yeah. so many times, just not only getting a really, really strong, big wall starting five, but the depth behind these guys, if they do get injured, is going to be rather deep once again in the blink of an eye in, in one offseason. Yes. And of course, the other uh, advantage to that for us is that there's lots of opportunity for lots of ink during training camp. As always, right. it's about us. We'll have lots to yes. write about as training camp is going ink. on. And, and John, you're showing your, I mean, we are not writing anything in ink. I, that, that I can guarantee you. <laughs> okay. There, there's going to be no printing press. Yes, electrons <laughs> is good. Excel sheets is good, which is your area of expertise. I'm going to give the wrap up here in a second, but I, I told a good friend of mine, Pete Davis. We became friends when I was working at Chiefs.com. He's an operations specialist for the Chiefs, but he's also a local musician and he is playing at the record bar, the reopening of the record bar on Thursday night. I'm going to read it to you. Various Blonde returned to the record bar stage to help us celebrate reopening an independent venue week. Not only will they be performing their set of original future punk R&B rock tunes, they will also be backing up local hip-hop artist Pistol Pete Davis, who's my guy. I also had him text me. He's really looking forward to this. It's the first time he's performing The Sweep live. Uh, the doors open again at 7 p.m., $10 a ticket. So you can get it at promoticks.com. Again, it's the record bar this Thursday. It should be fun. The record bar is a great venue. John, I know it, you know it well from uh, your time working in, in the local audio industry. Yes, I do. And it is a cool place to go. And uh, I'm very excited for your, for your friend's opportunity. Now that, 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 that one band, what kind of punk was that in that? Future punk, PH future punk. What, what the hell? Yeah. Wait a minute. I don't even want to know. Wait a minute. Time out. I said it wrong. Future funk. PH oh, future, future funk. funk. Oh, future funk. So okay. I'll have you know, John, we are going to be getting funky on Thursday. And <laughs> I will not be performing. I want to make that clear. Pistol Pete. I'm just regular old Pete. So Pistol yeah. Pete. And we're excited for that. Again, promotix.com. I told him I would mention it. If you live in the Kansas City area, it should be a good time. So uh, keep that in mind if you have nothing to do on Thursday night, the reopening of Record Bar. That's it for the Airhead Pride Editor Show. We'd ask that you please rate and review us. We appreciate every rating and review. Coming up next, we'll have the Arrowhead Drive on Wednesday later in the day. It'll be AP Out of Structure with Ron and Matt taking your Twitter questions. There's still time to get Twitter questions in if you want to do that. For John Dixon, I'm Pete Sweeney. This has been another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Show.